All right, so thank you guys for joining me and those online. Um, so question, harmless question, not deep at all. What is truth? What do we think? Shoot from the hip. No wrong answers. Safe place. What do you think, Don? Whatever God says. <laughs> the Word of God. Yep, yep. Okay, somebody else said Jesus, definitely. All right, let's, let's ask the question a little differently. We're like, what would a, would a non-very mature Highlands member say that truth is? You know, a man on the street kind of thing. What would they say truth is? What do you think, Jenna? Science. Truth is science. Okay, cool. Others? Absolute? Okay. Anybody else? Subjective. Stealing ahead. Yeah. If it's true to you, it's true to you, right? We're definitely going to talk about that. As far as truth, let's go with this definition. A statement or belief that matches reality. A statement or belief that matches reality. Some examples of what could be truth. Justin could say, it's raining outside. And we all could run outside and look around and feel the rain falling on us, and therefore we could say that Justin's statement was true. Objectively verifiable, Objectively verifiable right? We could say that uh, one plus one equals two. We have one Twizzler, and then we steal another Twizzler from your spouse, and then you count the Twizzlers, and you have two. So that's reality, right? But the problem enters in with how do we know what is true? That's the problem. How do we know what is true and how do other people, how do other people claim what is true? Uh, how do we claim what is true? How do we know what is true? And let's, let's look at this in uh, the, the three worldviews that we looked at last time. And we broke down worldviews into three large worldviews. We had atheism, we had selfism, and we had theism. So let's look at how to answer that question. How do we know what truth is? from each one of those worldviews. And so first up, atheism. How do you think atheism would... Oh, I probably have the answer on the slide, dude. Atheism would say, we can't know truth. Atheism would say, we can't know truth. Because why? Objective truth doesn't exist. It's all meaningless in the end. Is that true? <laughs> Very good. Hold on to that thought for about another 15 seconds, right? Because that's what we said about atheists. There's nothing in the center, very naturalistic, materialistic view. This is all there is, is here and now, and there's no plan. There's no grand design. Ultimately, that's what atheism is going to tell us. So therefore, you have to reject absolute truth because there's no plan. There's no meaning. You have to reject it. Is this the case in reality? Can... Let us in on a little bit of a, a hint of what's to come. That's not the case. Ken made a statement when I said there is no objective truth. And what was your response to my statement? Is that true? Is that true? <laughs> Meaning that what I just said in saying that there's no objective truth, I'm stating that that's objectively true. And I'm, I'm, I'm therefore shooting myself in the foot. And saying that if I'm saying what's that, oh, just this one thing is absolutely true, but nothing else, right? So it's always a good response if somebody were to uh, perilously state that out loud and say, there's no such thing as of absolute truth. You could always say, oh, is that true? And then they say, yes. And, ha! Trapped. Got you in your own worldview. So that's the atheistic answer to that question. They would say, we can't know the truth. Selfism would say... That truth is up to who? Yeah, the individual, right? You're the center of your world. And so, therefore, that flows into truth, right? Truth is up to me. What I feel is true is therefore true. And that word feel is really, really important, right? What I feel is true is therefore true. There's this idea of expressive individualism, which is massively important today in our culture. Expressive individualism. What do you think? Somebody take a stab at what expressive individualism might mean. The way somebody dresses. The way somebody dresses. Okay. So you're expressing. 
If you feel you are a boy, then therefore you are a boy. Yeah. Even though you're biological. Yeah, that's exactly how we ended up in that place with gender identity than we are today. There we are today. Is an extension of this idea that I feel it and therefore that's true. And therefore I have to express it and therefore everybody has to re respect that and acknowledge that, right? In other words, truth is discovered by expressing your feelings and desires. That's what a, a selfism view would say. And you see how that plays right into the homosexuality mindset, the, the gender dysphoria mindset, anything else, right? What drives the bus, again, in that sort of decision for truth? Feelings. Can we trust feelings? No. no. Feelings are a terrible thing to trust. What scriptural example can we say that we can't trust our feelings? The heart is deceitful and wicked and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The old expression, listen to your heart, it's a terrible expression for a Christian because our hearts are desperately sick and they cannot be trusted, right? Because our hearts are still full of sin and they might lead us astray, right? And you can see how that would contradict completely with the secular worldview. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm the master of my own worldview. I'm the master of my own destiny. So what I feel must be correct. Like, no, because you're missing the worldview that we're infected by sin. Yep, they could definitely start. Yep. The idea that humans are basically good, right? That's a worldview assumption. That's anti-biblical, right? Because we know that. And if you do think that humans are basically good, then you are uh, a lot more prone to follow your heart without kind of thinking, hmm, is this a good idea or not a good idea? You also don't have a standard, right? You also can't bounce it off this and say, hmm, I guess I shouldn't do what I just felt like doing, right? So in other words, truth then becomes relative and subjective. What's true for you is true for you. What's not true for you is not true for you. Tommy might think something is true, and that's cool for Tommy, but I don't think that same thing is true, and so that's cool for me. Right? Unless what? Unless you're the victim, you said? Oh, contradict. Yes, you can't contradict them. Yes, no, absolutely not. Yes. Is the concept of truth being relative and subjective viable? No, it's not. It's self-contradictory, right? It's completely unstable. It is completely unstable. No one lives like this, whether they admit it or not, right? When the doctor came into my exam room and said, Mr. Rule, I'm afraid you have cancer, I did not say, well, that's your truth, <laughs> not my truth, right? When we look at a medicine bottle and it says, take two of these every day by mouth, we don't say, well, that's the bottle's truth. That's not my truth. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, right? Nobody lives like this. But yet in our own little selfish way, a lot of our culture has capitulated to this idea that truth is relative and subjective and it's up to us, right? And our last worldview, theism. How would a theist, like any good Christian, answer the question, how do we know what is true? Don answered it for us before as we started off, right? God is true. There's a standard. God himself is true. God is recognized as the definition and the source of truth. John 14, 6 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Later on in John, yes, no one comes to, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> exclusivity. We'll get there in a couple weeks, right? John 17, 17, uh, the high priestly prayer. And Jesus says clearly, sanctify them in the truth. So Jesus believes in objective truth. He says the truth. Your word is truth. And so for a Christian, right, we would say God is truth. There is an objective standard, and that is God himself and his holy word. There's one quote in a really good book uh, by Carl Truman the rise and triumph of the modern self. He says, Today's world is not the objectively authoritative place that it was 800 years ago. We think of it much more as a case of raw material that we can manipulate by our own power for our own purposes. 
And so what he's saying is 800 years ago, you had a lot bigger sense of there was somebody else out there that was more powerful than you. If you were a farmer, your crops grew. If it rained, if it didn't rain, your crops died, and you could do nothing about that. Right? There was an objective standard that you had to adhere to, whether you wanted to or not. Right? And that's a good example with farming. Like You can try all you want, but you can't make your crops grow. The sun doesn't shine and the rain doesn't fall or whatever else happens, or the bugs come, or, or whatever else. There's stuff that happens outside you. Then you have to react to that stuff that's happening. What's happened in the last 800 years, right, in the last 100, 200 years especially, is that we've come inside. We're no longer farmers, right? We're cubicle workers, and we're information workers, and we have technology at our fingertips, and so then everything then revolves around us, and if we don't like something, we change it. And we have the power to change it. And so we think that also then extends to things that are non-negotiable, like truth. Right? Truth is no longer some objective reality. It's something that we make ourselves. And that's, again, how we get to the place of uh, gender dysphoria and other things that just seem to be so black and white. It's like the whole concept of truth itself has changed. Right? So what are some implications for this in our next slide? There's three real implications. There's a personal, apologetic, and a practical. Personal for us, how do we know Christianity is true? Like in, in this kind of environment, how do we know Christianity is true? Think about these things. And an apologetic implication, how do we make a compelling case that Christianity is true in the midst of this craziness where people don't even believe in truth? And lastly, a practical implication, how do we ourselves navigate changing cultural moralities? You know, our world is changing at lightning speed. Things that were okay, like, or not okay, rather 15, 20 years ago, are now suddenly accepted. And if you don't accept them, you're out. You're canceled. So some implications there. Any other thoughts just as we kind of stick our toes in the water here about truth or worldviews. Right. Right. Yeah, we've also moved past that. It's no longer uh, just toleration, right, of an alternative worldview or an alternative idea of reality, right? It is full acceptance and a full promotion. And if you don't fully accept and promote my worldview, my ideas, then you hate me as a person. What was that? Yeah. Yep. If you contradict anything that I am, it's become identity. Again, that idea of expressive individualism, right? I'm expressing my feelings and desires, and so therefore, if you're disagreeing with my feelings and desires, you're disagreeing with me personally, and you're harming me and doing violence to me. Yeah. I'm, I feel unsafe. All of those buzzwords, right? Yeah, Frank. Yep. A lot of people understood dependence a couple hundred years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they see the farmers see the Bible playing out in real life. They see the worldview. They see God. They see yeah. Yep. We, information workers, right, or whatever else, we're harnessing all that for us. Yeah. Let's talk about how we can know truth. Okay, because that in and of itself is a kind of offensive claim to some people these days. You can know truth. We live like we can know truth. And there's a couple, I've broken these up into mostly reliable ways to know truth and then some more dangerous ways of knowing truth. But some mostly reliable ways to know truth. Number one, reason or logic. Reason or logic. We can know truth by reason or logic. What's an example of uh, a way we can know truth by reasoning or using logic to know truth? A statement that you can logically or reasonably prove. Anything. Two plus two equals four. Okay. I'd go with that. Yep. What's that? Gravity. Gravity. Yeah, absolutely. If I drop this cup of coffee, it's going to spill and it's going to make a mess. 
If I run into Route 94 without looking, there's a good chance I'm going to get mowed over by a car, right? right? Eventually, if you live in Vernon, you'll, you'll run into a bear, right? These things are logically and reasonably true. Number two, consistency. This is a huge way that we can know truth. Is it consistent with itself? What are some things that maybe you can say consistently, like a pattern you see of anything that you could say is therefore true? What's a? The sun will rise. The sun will rise tomorrow morning, just like it does every other morning. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, it's a consistent, repeatable thing, right? Then you can say tonight, unless the Lord returns, the sun will rise tomorrow morning, right? Anything else? Any other thoughts? Pastor Mike will drink coffee tomorrow. Pastor Mike <laughs> will drink a lot of coffee tomorrow morning consistent. What's that? Okay. The consistency of how in the world a ginormous multi-ton aircraft gets off the ground somehow. Yeah. Repeatable patterns, right? Uh, every winter, it gets cold, right? It's kind of, kind of consistent uh, pattern. Um, if I ask a girl out and she said no, if I ask her out again, she's probably still going to say no, right? Say yes, but she may eventually say yes. <laughs> you only said no once, though. <laughs> and then you quickly caved and realized your mistake. That's true. That's true. So we have reason or logic. We have consistency. Another way, a kind of reliable way that we can know truth is evidence, direct evidence. How can we, what's a statement that we could say that's direct evidence? You think that's true? Yeah, anything, right? I saw the dog chewing Melanie's hair tie. That's true, it happened. I saw it, right? Uh, other things that are kind of a little bit more fuzzy, like I know Melanie loves me. Like I see evidence of that, right? Therefore, that's true. So direct evidence. I thought of one more just because it was kind of recent, um, and it was kind of funny, but an official announcement. And here's the example. The Vernon fireworks are still on, even though storms are coming in, right? And that's exactly what happened, right? Everybody's on Facebook going, is this true? And they're going, yeah, it, they're, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're still going to shoot them off. <laughs> and everybody went, and did you get, did you get wet, Len? <laughs> People got wet, but it was kind of funny because people on Facebook were like, ah, is this true? Is this really happening? It's like, yep, it's really happening. It's an official announcement. Doesn't mean it's always true, but mostly, if you hear it from on high, that's the decision that has been made, right? So reason or logic, consistency, evidence, official announcements, some reliable ways that we can know truth. Some more dangerous ways of knowing truth. How about, again, we talked about it, but Instinct or feeling. That's a very dangerous way of knowing truth. I feel like Marcy doesn't like me, right? That may or may not be true, right? I don't think it's true, but definitely not true. Oh, Marcy, right? But sometimes you have that complex kind of like, ah, oh, this must be true. The person doesn't like me or something. Instinct or feeling, not a good way to know truth. I thought of a couple more, which I didn't really have examples for, so maybe you can help me. What about majority opinion? People think things are true, but they're not true. Oh, it was hard for me to not be political or something else in this realm. <laughs> Anybody think of anything that the majority of people might think is true, but is actually not true, and therefore it's a dangerous way of knowing truth? Okay. Masks, no mask kind of thing, one way or the other, just to be fair, right? <laughs> okay? Yeah. Somebody's probably scientifically right or wrong in that, right? Maybe we'll find that out one day. Right? But yeah, majority opinion, dangerous way of knowing. Just because the world says, think of like your old mom, if everybody said to jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? Like, you know, doesn't mean that that's true. Right? What about another way, tradition or custom? We've always done it that way, right? Doesn't mean it's true, 
but we've been trapped in this way of doing something. And the last dangerous way of knowing truth is pragmatism. I will. Pragmatism means if it works, it must be right. The end justifies the means. Works for me. No matter how I got there, we got there. That doesn't mean it's true. That doesn't mean it's good. I mean, it's true you got that result, but that doesn't mean it's a true good way of doing that, right? And I thought of uh, an example really from churches, right? Compromising on doctrine, uh, going seeker-friendly, going, you know, big production, lights, stage, smoke machines, whatever. Why? To get people in the door. But look at all the people we got in the door. It's like, okay, well, is that necessarily a good thing? Like, are you actually teaching them the real gospel? If you're not, then that's classic pragmatism. Just because you got butts in the seat doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean you were responsible. Doesn't mean what you were telling them is true. That's just a result you got. Right? Any other thoughts? Pragmatism or other dangerous ways to know the truth? Not reliable ways to know the truth? Deduction, okay. 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 Yep. Okay. Scientific deduction or assumption. Good example being the age of the earth. Yeah, good one. Any other thoughts on how we'd know truth? The interwebs, very, very dangerous way of knowing truth. It must be true. It's on YouTube. <laughs> Look at the guy. He's got a great channel. He's got full production and everything. He said it with authority, and he said it really loud. It's in the Christian bookstore, so it must be true. Ooh. What'd you say, Ken? Hearsay. Gossip is a terrible way of knowing what's true and what's not true. Right? And so I, I'm kind of going through this exercise, guys, so we engage our brain and know, like, what is the source of truth here? Like, how is someone asserting what is true, right? Does that actually mean it's true or not? And we've got to engage our brains a little bit on that, right? Uh, Mr. R.C. Sproul gives us a couple ways to assess and push back on a truth claim. And he has four, but I'm going to only give you three of them. These are his own kind of interpretation of some of the laws of logic. And the first one is the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction simply says that it can't be A and B at the same time. This can't be a cup of coffee and a cup of tea at the same time. It's either one thing or the other. It has to be either A or B. And if it's contradiction, then it contradicts logic, and therefore it can't be true, right? And so think about that and, and people's truth claims. What can that tell us? The law of non-contradiction. What's that? that? Yeah, that assumes A and B are different, which, we, which we'll give it, right? A and B are different, right? What if someone says that's true for you but not true for me? It's, it's not logical, it doesn't work. It's, it's, you're violating that, that basic law of logic. Like, if something's true, it's true. Like, if there's a God, right, and, and He is God, and He's king, and He's either he is or He's not, He can't be not for Piero, and, it, and this is king for me. It doesn't work like that. That's a violation of that. Now, there are two kind of really important con or exceptions to this, which are really good for us to know as Christians. There's two exceptions to the law of non-contradiction, right? Sometimes people think it's a contradiction, but it's not. And the first one is a paradox, something that has an appearance of a contradiction, but is not a contradiction. And I thought of a couple examples. I drive a vehicle, but I also drive a truck, right? That's not 
a contradiction because both are true, right? It, it's not a violation. It's a, it's a paradox, right? They're, it's all the same thing. I'm just being more specific about it. They're not two separate things. Like uh, Wendy said, A and B being different. So a lot of times if people push back against Christianity, you'll hear them say, well, that's a contradiction. It's like, well, it might not be a contradiction. It might be a paradox. Anybody have a, a scriptural or theological example of something? What? The Trinity. That was my example, Bob. Did you look at my notes? The Trin- How is the Trinity a paradox? What would somebody say? You believe in three gods that are also one God. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Which would be true if that's what we're saying in the doctrine of the Trinity. But that's not what we're saying in the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity says there's three gods and three different essences of that God. Right? There are three gods, but there's different essences of those. There's still one God, but it's Father, Son, and Spirit in their own essence that are God, their own roles, their own persons, right? And so it's, it's not a contradiction, it's a paradox, right? Any other, any other uh, theological things that people think are, are contradictions that are really a paradox? You guys are thinking hard, I love it. How could God be a loving God and destroy people or send people to hell? Yeah. That is one of the biggest ones. Yeah. Right. 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 And people will say that with the position that, aha, I have a contradiction. Your God can't be loving and send people to hell. So therefore, he must not exist. Or he's a terrible, terrible God, right? And again, that's not what the doctrine says, right? God's not sending people to hell. People, people are on their way to hell because, thank you, Adam and Eve, but also every person is a, is a sinner by choice. We're a sinner by nature and choice. There are people that still continue to reject God, right? God in his grace is the one who, as Lori Rivera says, interrupts that death, right? And who brings people to salvation, saves people from their trajectory to hell. That was a good one. Yeah. Any other theological pushbacks of what people think is a contradiction? But it's not a contradiction. How could God choose... Choose Judas, okay. Yeah. How could God choose Judas, right? Maybe knowing what he was going to do or whatever, that could be a, a contradiction. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not a contradiction, right? Or repent, right? Yeah. What about yeah, Ro? Hmm. How can a God who says thou shalt not murder have a whole plan of salvation based on killing his son? Yep. Another that was a good one. Right? And again, without the backdrop of scripture and redemptive history, you don't know why the blood was required. Old Testament fulfilling the Old Testament. Everything will be cleansed and forgiven and redeemed by blood, and Jesus is fulfilling the sacrifices with the perfect sacrifice by shedding his perfect blood. So it actually had to happen, and it certainly wasn't murder. It was willing sacrifice, right? Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it up myself. Yeah. I thought of another one, um, thinking about the deity of Jesus, right? That Jesus can't be man and God at the same time. The two natures of Jesus. It's not a contradiction. It's just a paradox, right? And the idea that it's two natures within Jesus. Which brings us to our second exception, which is like, how in the world does that happen? 
I don't know. <laughs> so we have paradox, that's an exception. It's not a contradiction. But we also have mystery. That is not a contradiction. Here's what the world says. Because I don't understand it, it must be false. Noah's Ark. That's absolutely ridiculous that God put all of those animals in there, two by two, two mosquitoes. You know, it's just stupid to think about that. That can't possibly happen. Therefore, it's a contradiction. Therefore, it's wrong. Right? How is Jesus God and man? I don't know. Must not be true. Yeah. Did Jesus do miracles? I don't know. Must not be true. It's a mystery. Just because we have to push back on this, just because we can't define something, just because we don't understand something, doesn't mean necessarily it's false. There are lots of things we don't understand, right? Again, somebody, I think it was Ken, talking about an airplane. I don't know how an airplane works, but I get in one, right? And I trust it, and it takes me up in the air, right? It shouldn't, but it does somehow. Brute force or physics or I don't know, robots or something. I don't know how it works. Remember, of course, we're dealing with God. And that's, that's where we've got to, apologetically, we've got to leave that room where it's like, we've got to leave room for the mystery of God. We're never going to be able to explain God completely. We can't. If we did, we'd be God and our brains would explode and melt out our ears. It's not going to happen, right? We can't prove God beyond a shadow of a doubt. We've got to remember, there's got to be an element of mystery. I think it was Chandler that said, every Christian must be comfortable with a certain amount of mystery. And, and in this, the dangers of something like this, in apologetics and things, we just try to figure everything out. We're not going to figure everything out about God. And we've got to leave that room in honest discussion when we're talking to people about it. Okay, he's God. If we knew everything about him, he wouldn't be God. I don't know how the Trinity works, <laughs> Right? Yeah, we are human beings with a fallen three-pound brain. Yep. So in other words, somebody would say, well, there's no evidence for God, therefore I don't believe in God. It's not a logical claim. Because just because you don't understand something doesn't mean you don't believe it. On that basis. There's lots of things that we live that we don't understand. Any other thoughts on the law of non-contradiction or paradox or mystery? Is this fun? Are we having fun? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's look at the second law, the law of causality. Every effect has a cause, right? You are all here tonight because I have been announcing like crazy 17 times in my sermon alone on Sunday that there's a midweek service Wednesday night at 6.30, right? That's the cause, and the effect is you are here. What, when we think about apologetics, what's some of the big issues or theology, some of the things that we can apply with the law of causology, causality, causality, sorry. You confess your sins, you're forgiven. Okay, so the, the, the cause is, right, we are sinners, right? The effect is that we're forgiven. Absolutely. Yep. If we confess and believe and repent. Where did the universe come from? That's the Mac Daddy. Right? Okay. Look around. <laughs> Where did all this stuff come from? We've got seasons. We've got, we've got atmosphere. We've got oxygen. We've got the earth hanging in its perfect orbit. We've got seasons coming in. We've got yellow jackets that I hate with a burning passion, but they make the nest in their perfect formation every single time, right? We've got the way that the world works, the way the animal kingdom works, all of that. The universe exists. Effect. What was the cause? Right? What do people say the cause is? <laughs> Big Bang, right? Chance, right? Again, Dawkins in The God Delusion would say it's not, not any of those things. It's just billions of years. If you give it enough time, it's eventually just going to look like the way it is now. No, I don't care how much time you give it. It's not going to look like the way it is now. You're just denying the obvious. That was what most people might say is maybe there's a designer. Maybe there's a creator. Maybe there's somebody that did all of this stuff intentionally. Cause, right? The 
cause is God. What do people say when you drop that one? When you say, well, the effect is the, uh, obviously the creation, and therefore, look, the cause is God, and you stand back and put your hands in your pockets and like, ha-ha, gotcha. What do people, what, what, what would somebody might say to that? Dinosaurs? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you say, fine, God created them too. What do you think? What would people say that God, when we drop that and say, God's the, the cause that we see? Rhoda's just bursting, ready to... They raise their science scepter and they say, well, who caused God? Right? And then we say, ah, poop. I didn't see that one coming. Right? <laughs> who caused God? What do we say to that? Who caused God? Okay, fine. Yeah, he's eternal. Right? That's where defining terms and understanding what's going on really, really happen. It's really... Uh, if you want to be totally nerdy for a second on the ontological argument, it says everything that begins has a cause. God never began. God was eternal. So therefore, God doesn't need a cause. Yeah, first words of Genesis, right? In the beginning, God. Right? And so when we talk about God, we've got to remember the scriptural God, Right? That would be true if God were a created being, but God's not a created being. God's an eternal being. And so, therefore, God doesn't need a cause. Mr. Yeah, it goes right back to mystery, right? How is he eternal? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. How do we know that the law of causality is totally and 100% true. Remember, think cause and effect. Yep, you can test it. Consistent, that's a big one. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's consistent, it's repeatable. Absolutely, that is a big one. There's also a one on the negative side of that argument. R.C. talked about in his book, Defending Your Faith, he said there's no such thing as an uncaused effect. Like, name one effect that we have in this world anywhere. Find one, and this law falls flat. Because there is none. There's no such thing as something that we see. Something, I have a book, like something made this book, right? Something made this, something happened. There's a reason for everything. Something came from somewhere. Everything did. If you can find that one uncaused effect, the whole thing falls down, right? And that was one of his uh, uh, detractors called and, or wrote him a letter and said that, you know, well, you don't account for uncaused effects. And he said, I never usually respond to critics. He says, but I responded to this guy. And I said, sure, find me an uncaused effect. And he said, I'm still waiting. It's been 25 years. So, <laughs> so when we look outside, maybe in the morning, we see the grass is wet. What could we say the cause is? This is sort of a trick question. Look outside. I'm going to get the mail. I'm walking the dog. I'm in my hay dudes. And I didn't realize that the grass was soaking wet. And I'm trucking out there. And I'm irritated because now my hay dudes are wet. And my socks are wet. Should have worn my Crocs. Right? From the dew point? Okay. Is that the only possible reason that the grass would be wet could have rained okay sprinklers right any other ways that the grass may be wet the dog could have been out there first right 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 what if some what if some vandal broke in in the middle of the night turned on my garden hose just decided to water my grass for no reason at all right i mean you could, you could go on and on and on right so we have we have an effect but we don't exactly know the cause of that. And that drove some people crazy. And there was another nerdy guy named Hume that said, aha, this is why this doesn't work. Because you can never, ever figure out the reason, the one cause for the effect of that. What do you think? Let's go back to our example with the grass. How could we figure out why the grass was wet? Deductive reasoning, exactly. Look around. Well, is everything else wet? Is there, are there puddles on the ground? 
You know, was there rain in the forecast? Do I see? Yeah, okay, then it must have rained, right? And we would know that through pretty solid reasoning, and it's pretty, pretty true that that might have happened. Check the camera. <laughs> Check the camera, see if anybody was watering the grass in the middle of the night, right? And so there's a huge difference between I don't know what caused that event and this event had, excuse me, no cause, right? Okay, we might not know exactly why the grass is wet, but we know the grass is wet, and therefore we still know it had a cause. We just can't throw out that fact, right? So don't let, don't let them get you down that trap either. Um, we've got to remember, just because, again, much like mystery, just because we don't know exactly why it's wet doesn't mean that the whole thing is thrown out. We can, we can get close with deductive reasoning. And really, when you come down to it, we'll talk about this in a, in, in a minute, um, how do we know God exists? Like, why do we believe God exists personally? Right? There are some reasons that we should be able to say in, in defense Say, this is why I believe, right? It's, a, it's almost a little bit of deductive reasoning, but you're presenting a case. Right? So we have law of non-contradiction, law of causality, and then last, sense perception. So our senses, touching, seeing, smelling, those things are generally reliable, right? Some people will say, well, just what you, you know, that's your own perception. It's like, well, okay, but... If, if I go into the freezer and I grab an ice cube, right, it, I feel it's cold. It's true that that ice cube is cold. Like, you just can't throw that out. Otherwise, you throw science out, too, like Bob was saying, with deductive reasoning. Like, there's, stick your hand on the fire, you know it's hot. Like, so our senses can be trusted. They, can, they are reliable to a certain degree, to a certain degree, right? How does that help us when we're talking about God? the existence of God. How about believing in God? Yeah, faith. Calvin called it the sensus divinitatis. Like we all have this sense that God put in our hearts that there is a God. And that can be trusted to a certain degree. It can be. That's what Sproul talked about with his fourth rule, which is the law of analogy, which I'm lumping into this one. But it means we can relate to God. We have some commonality. His image is stamped on our soul. He's not just some ogre sitting on a throne directing things like puppets on strings. He's here with us. We can feel him. We can sense him in a way that probably nothing else can because he's our creator. He's our God, and we can relate to God. We can know Him. Here's the thing that drives atheists completely crazy. We can know Him even if we can't prove Him beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? Which they're like, no, you can't. I need evidence. It's like, well, okay. I'm never going to give you enough evidence to satisfy you, right? Truth can be known by senses to a, a pretty solid degree. We have to hold that loosely because sometimes we could see things that didn't really <laughs> happen that way or whatever else, right? All right, so let's talk about some practical ways here. How do we engage a couple, a couple practical ideas for us? First, know why you believe why Christianity is true. Know why you personally believe Christianity to be true. I was reading 2 Timothy and my yearly read, chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You hear that from Paul himself. He's like, I, fine, mock me, put me in prison, think I'm crazy, whatever. I'm not ashamed, because I know who I believe. Right? We should all be able to state why you believe Christianity makes sense, right? What are some reasons why we could state personally we know Christianity makes sense? Don't go Bible on me now. Don't be like, well, because the Bible says so. Okay, true, but let's, right? 
You're going to, somebody, they don't care. If they don't respect the Bible, they're not going to care. Yeah, Paula, why, did, why would you say you believe Christianity to be true? Because God has changed me. That's a huge one, right? Personal transformation, huge one. I am not the same person that I was, right? I am, can I get an amen, wife? I am not the same person that I was, right? Don't have the same appetites, don't have the same desires, don't have the same anything. That just doesn't happen, right? 180 degree turn, right? That's a big one. Yeah, thank you. What are some other ways that we could say we believe Christianity to be true? What door? Prophecies have been fulfilled. Okay, so in the Bible, there are certain things that we see that play out, right, that are true. Yep. Um, I would probably shift more towards a, a bigger, like the biblical worldview. Like if you take the Bible at a whole, right, like that is one of the biggest reasons why I believe Christianity to be true because I believe it's the only worldview that makes sense. It's the only worldview that gives an answer for evil and suffering. It's the only worldview that gives an answer for sin. It's the only worldview that hangs together. None of the other worldviews do it. It just doesn't. What's the answer for evil and suffering? Give it to me. Nobody can have it. Nobody says it. Right? They want to pick on us, but they don't have an answer for it. Right? We have an answer for it. Right? So it's worldview consistency. Right? Christianity is the only answer to sin and to suffering. It's the only hope in this world, right? I had a great conversation with the guy next door at the diner, uh, one of the guys that works there, who found out that I was the pastor here and came and talked to me and said that he was a Christian too. And, and first he said, so you have the answer to what's going on in the world right now. And I kind of smirked and I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> and he says, I keep telling people that that's the only answer to what's going on in the world right now. And then he said, um, people are worried about being on the wrong side of history. They should be more worried about being on the wrong side of eternity. I was like, dang, I like you. We got good neighbors. So yeah, Christianity, the worldview makes sense. It's the only consistent worldview. Remember last week we had the, the two uh, levels of truth where down the bottom we had science and fact and reasoning and things you can prove, right? And up top you had feelings and squishy stuff and everything. Christianity lets you go between both those both those levels. If you're an atheist, you're doomed to that bottom level that's just fact and science and everything else. And so then when you feel love for something, you're in enemy territory. You're like, you're, you're, borrow, you're consistently borrowing from that upper level for worldview, for things to make sense or anything else. You're consistently borrowing from that. Christianity, you don't have to do that. It makes sense. All right, so personal transformation, worldview consistency. What else would you say is a reason why you would personally believe Christianity. Yep. Okay. Yep. I actually had that as aptly titled reality. <laughs> you see what happens when we're left to our own devices. Absolutely. Yeah. If you reject God's law, the reality is playing out right before our very eyes. Right? You have mass shootings, you have environmental disasters, you have crazy amounts of suicide, depression, fear, worry, anxiety, you have kids in schools, all of that. It's just, I don't have to go on and on, but you're seeing reality play out before our eyes. And if a sovereign God is not able to redeem all that, then we might as well just torch the whole things ourselves, right? But that's, that's not the, the biblical worldview. So reality, yeah, absolutely. I thought of one more that we talked about a couple of times, but creation itself, right? I just, still, you know? You ever just sit in front of the ocean and watch the sunrise, you know, and you ever just sit in front of the Grand Canyon or something or, or some other kind of massive natural element and you're just like blown away it's like it, it, this just can't 
Even the human body, absolutely, the human body. Yeah. Yeah. We have a whole industry, the whole healthcare industry is people trying to catch up with God's creation of the human body, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out why it's sick, trying to figure out how to get it back again. You know, you got people with illnesses for years and years and years. They don't know what's going on. It's the human complexity, the body. Yeah, that was a good one. Creation. What's that? Yeah, along with creation, we are without excuse, right? We talked about it in Romans. <clears throat> that people by their, their sin suppress the truth. And we're without excuse. I'm going to stand before God going, wow, you do exist. I didn't know that. He's like, come on, you knew that. All right, so know why you believe Christianity to be true. Second, ask questions. This is so huge, right? I was talking with a lady after church on Sunday, and she said, I've uh, been encountering a lot of Muslims, and God's brought them to me, and they just seem to be everywhere. Every other friend I make is a Muslim. I don't know how to counter them, and I just said, keep asking questions. I don't, know what, I don't know what their worldview is. I don't know why they believe. Find out. Like, be a student of the other person. Seek to understand the other person's side, their other worldview. Seek to understand it. Ask questions why that makes sense to them. Right? And do so with gentleness and respect. Right? Yeah, Jenna. Yeah. Yeah. puts you in a more humble position to be gentle and kind. And it automatically puts you in a place of more respect by the person yeah. that you're speaking to. That's so such a great point. Less respect for Christians because they think you're, you know, self-righteous and yep. all this stuff. And if you, yep. you walk up to them and say, I really want to know. Like, I, I don't understand and I would like to. Can yeah. you help me understand that? Yep. They, they think, well, this person has more brains than I thought they did. Yeah. That is so huge. I didn't even think about that. That's a great point, that, that Christians are so accused of that closed-mindedness. And just by asking questions and seeking to understand, you defeat it. You got a good one, Greg. Don't let, don't let her get away. Appreciate it. Yeah, seek to understand, right? Be that, that kind of people person, right? So many times, and I think it's the evangelical non-denominational hangover, like from youth group, like we just got to get the, the four spiritual laws out before we explode or something, or take them to the Romans road, or nah, we've got to do something. It's like, okay, but that's how we got here in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, listen, find out what they're talking about, you know, ask questions. And along with that, the next one is define terms. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that understanding? What does that mean? You say God. Well, what do you mean? Who's God? Tell me, tell me what, who you think God is. Right? Define terms. False ideas, Mr. Machen. False ideas are the biggest obstacle to truth. Like unless we know what we're talking about, we can't understand each other. So define terms at all times. And really, instead of trying to uh, come to that conclusion of like, ha, huh, checkmate, we're looking to plant doubts, right? So plant doubts in the other person's worldview. And a lot of that's done by questions, right? Um, Greg Kokel, uh, in his book, Tactics, says, be that pebble in somebody's shoe, right? It's just that, you know, you want to, there are inconsistencies in their worldview. We just, want to point them out. We want to know what makes them tick, right? And then that will, the Holy Spirit, and then pray like crazy that the Holy Spirit then kind of kicks that around in their head. Like, yeah, why, why do I believe what I believe? Why, why, that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, if you don't believe in God and then you had to stand before him, yeah. Um, hi. 
Yeah. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. That's, that is a good one. And really push back on some of the earlier things we were talking about, like the nature of truth itself. Everybody knows that truth can't be subjective and relative. It just can't be. It's not truth. I can't go flying down Route 94 at whatever speed limit I think is appropriate. I'm going to meet one of Vernon's finest, and he's not going to be happy, right? In reality, is science is not that way. That's, that's the other inconsistency, right? And the, the dichotomy here is like, as Rhoda said, they wave the science flag, it's like, okay, well, science is based on facts and truth. So how can it be based on facts and then subjective at the same time? It doesn't make any sense. Right? So we've got to point these things out. So plant doubts in the other person's worldview. And the last, oh, yeah, Sue. It's even, I'm thinking of the whole gender issue. Yeah. You can be a woman who feels she's a, a man. Yeah. Yeah. You can't change that. You can't. You can't change her genetics. Yeah. That is what, I mean, Romans 1, I mean, although it doesn't directly speak to gender dysphoria, it speaks to sexuality, but it's just, it's just playing out in reality so tragically. Um, the idea of it must be true because I feel that I'm a different gender. And then to go through those steps to be transformed into that other gender, right? To think that will be what will satisfy those feelings and desires. And when you think about it, and I don't mean that to say that in a very light way. No. People are suffering and they're making these choices. Yep. Because that's what they're thinking is going, going to help them feel better or solve their problems. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't solve the issue of what truth is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's and again, it's tragic because you've gone through all that to get there, right? Um, Dr. Moeller was talking about that in one of his podcasts that we're, we're going to start to see that. We're going to start to see, especially kids, like kids that are able to choose their own gender, right, and then gone through whatever surgeries or whatever to do that. They're going to grow up and they're going to be like, we out of your mind? You let me do that when I was 12? Like, right? You're going to start to see that at just as time plays out. So. You can't. There's so much that makes up the human body, right? Yeah. And last but certainly not least, remember the goal of apologetics. We talked about it last time. The two goals of evangelism, uh, evangelizing the lost and equipping the church. So in other words, making and maturing. You know, remember those goals. Your goal is not to win an argument. Your goal is not to be the smartest person. Right? You're going to meet those people when you talk to them and they're going to tear you up and you're going to be like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I just got my butt kicked by somebody. <laughs> right? It's okay. The goal of apologetics is not to win an argument and look the smartest. It's to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's up to him. Maybe you were the first person in the chain. Maybe the next person's going to get a little farther than you did. Right? So know why you believe Christianity is true. Ask questions, define terms, plant doubts, and remember the goal of apologetics. Questions, comments, thoughts, encouraging remarks, or disparaging remarks. Okay. Well, let me pray for us. Thank you, guys. Father, I do thank you so much that we can be together. I thank you for this time to just kind of press pause and, and think about some of these deeper things and think about truth and think about how we can know it to be true. And Lord, protect us from just kind of those knee-jerk reactions of, well, we know it's true because the Bible says it. And it's like, well, yes, we believe that as Christians and that is true. But Lord, there's so much more that we can explore in these topics of truth and 
I pray that we would uh, be effective. Uh, I pray for opportunities to have these conversations. I pray for that heart that is open and humble and gentle, uh, Lord, and, and, and consistently others-focused and, and grows in our ability to defend the faith. And we do this all for your glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.